doctrine of sin. Father, thanks for a gorgeous day out and for bringing us out here safely. Open our minds and our hearts as we study Your Word. Thank You for this opportunity to be here, to be taught from by Your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we be good students in Christ's name. Amen. Um, lesson 2 on doctrine of man, doctrine of sin. Last week we um, introduced the topic... Uh, those fancy words there, anthropology, is doctrine of man, study of man. And homardiology comes from the Greek word homardia, which is sin, doctrine of sin. So we've got doctrine of man, doctrine of sin. And these sort of go hand in hand together, so that's why we're teaching them together. Doctrine of man, doctrine of sin. Today what we're going to look at is the image of God, when we talk about image of God. Um, the Bible says, if you remember... In fact, we're going to look at that. You might as well turn to Genesis 1. It says, God made man in his image. Now, this is a debated topic in theology. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? When we talk image of God, what does that mean? Um, in fact, remember when Noah got off the ark, God instituted capital punishment. And why did God do that? Why did God demand life for life? Remember? When Noah got off the ark, God instituted the concept of capital punishment for murder. And why did he do that? All right. Well, we can look that up. Genesis 9. Um, look at verse 6. Whosoever sheds man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. The image of God. The imago. And by the way, this is a, there's a fancy word for this. Second part, theologians call this the imago dei. Image of God. So if you see imago dei, um, that's what it's talking about. The image of God. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 here. Um, verse 26. Now, of course, verse 26 comes after verse 25. And in verse 25, we have the summation of the creation of this point, so to speak. God created the earth. God created everything on it. God created the birds, the fish, the animals, the land animals, the creeping things. So everything has been created except man. Man is the only thing that's not been created yet. And then verse 26 said, God said, then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the question then becomes, well, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does that mean? Um, and throughout church history, that's been understood various different ways. And by the way, cults too have seen this in various different ways. Some said, well, man is a triune being like God is triune, right? We've got the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your body, soul, and spirit. Therefore, image of God sort of refers to your triune nature, so to speak. And we're going to talk about that. Um, some said, no, it's because man has a self-conscious and a moral nature like God does. God has self-conscious. He knows he exists. And he has a moral nature. Some uh, Mormons, for example, believe that we are created physically after God. They would believe that God the Father has a physical body. All right? And that if He were to show up right now 
in a business suit, you probably couldn't tell him from anybody else. Um, he looks just like us. He has hands and feet and arms and eyes and legs and everything else just like we do. All right? And it's an interesting concept of where he came from, but we won't get into that. But they believe that, that God has a physical existence. Even though the Bible says God is spirit, they define spirit as a finer form of matter. So it's not spirit, it's just a different form of matter. It's pretty weird what they believe. Yes, that's a reference to the Trinity. All right, let us make man in our image. God is talking about that's the Godhead. You see the the Trinity there, and of course we understand that the Trinity. We talked about this a year ago, over a year ago. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, three distinct personalities, one God. We don't understand that. You're not going to understand that. So just go with it. All right, because if you try to figure it out, you're going to wind up nuts. It just can't. We can't do that. But we definitely see, and, and also in the Hebrew, that word for God, Elohim, refers to a, a, a plurality. The I am is the ascending in our, in our language. So you have a plurality there. But this is the image of God. This is the first example. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So when we talk about the Imago Dei, or the image of God, what do we mean by that? Well, let's, let's think about this here. Um, it can't refer to our physical appearance. Because God doesn't have a physical appearance, does He? I mean, what does the Bible say? God is spirit. So what is spirit? Spirit is non-corporeal. There is no image that can go along with it. Why in um, Exodus 20 did God say, You shall not make unto you any graven images? Yeah, and why, why can't you make an image of God? He has no image. <laughs> he has no image. There's nothing to pattern. I mean, the image of God is a blank. It's blank. There is nothing, there's no likeness you can make of Him because He has no physical likeness. All right? And it's interesting, even in the new heavens and new earth, is there a physical likeness for the Father? Do we see the Father in a physical form? Light. Here's a question. Do we ever see God in a, the Father in a physical form? In the person of Jesus, we see God. But in a physical form, do we ever see God in a physical, corporeal form? No. He is spirit. And when He is seen in the Bible, He's seen as a blinding, brilliant, blazing light that no man can approach. All right? Um, and even if we, when we get to heaven and we look at the throne of God, what are we going to see? We're going to see a blazing, brilliant, blinding light. That is the glory of God. We're not going to see somebody sitting there with eyes and ears and nose and hands and feet. God is spirit. That's His nature. He is spirit. And the reason, you know, this goes along when we go back and talk about um, the, the um, characteristics of God. He is spirit. And being spirit, he is everywhere because he has no form or there's no form to him. God is everywhere. But now in the person of Jesus Christ, there is a physicality, right? There is a physical form. But, and go figure that one out. How can he be in a physical form yet infinite? Well, you just go with it, right? Because you're not going to figure that out. So when it comes down to this concept where God created us in his image to look like him, that's false because... He doesn't have a form to look like. 
So, the reason God created us to look like we do here has nothing to do with the way He looks. Because He doesn't have anything to look at. All right? There is no image. It can't refer to man's triune nature. It's a bad analogy. That's a really a bad, bad, bad analogy. And the reason for that is because there's, uh, there's debate over do you really have three pieces to you or two? <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Another couple of fancy theological words. Dichotomy and trichotomy. Um, they argue about this or discuss, debate. Um, do you consist of body, soul, and spirit or do you consist of a material and an immaterial part? The material part being your physical form, the immaterial being your soul, spirit. Um, there's a theological discussion on that. Um, and, and, you know, I put a bad analogy here. Um, clocks and men have two hands, but that doesn't mean we're like a clock, or a clock is like us. Right? It, it's a bad analogy to go there. So the Imago Dei has to refer to something other than the triune nature, has to refer to something other than the physical nature, because there is no physical nature for God to, for us to be patterned after. And the question, why did God create us like this? Well, I don't know. He wanted to, I guess. There's no reason for it other than that this is the way God created us. So what does the Imago Dei refer to? The image of God. And I've distilled this down for you. This is, this is all of this book distilled down to a few sentences. All right. The Imago Dei refers to several components. Number one, it refers to your personality. What makes you different than a dog? All right. Other than your physical form. Okay. Well, you have three components. All right. Plus another one here. Number one, man has emotions. Now you say, well, animals have emotions too. All right. Animals have a personality. My dog and cat have a personality. I have two cats. They're totally different beings. One's a snot and one's a wonderful, lovable little cat. All right. Um, But one thing your dog doesn't do is he doesn't talk to you, does he? Well, he barks. But he doesn't sit down and say, oh, you know, what what, what do you think the calves are going to do tonight? Um, what do you think? What do you What do you think about the weather? You know, the dog doesn't talk about that. You know, it barks at you, says, "I'm hungry." You know, I'm thirsty. I want to go out. But so there's a, there's a level of communication at that at that point. But as far as a, a dog actually sitting down and having a conversation with you about something, dogs and cats don't do that. Animals don't do that. So when we talk about the Imago Dei, we're saying that God has created us with a personality. That personality includes several components. It includes the emotional component. We're going to talk about the reason for this in a few minutes. The emotional component. We have emotions. We can feel. Now, evolutionarily, where did that come from? Yeah, see, they don't have an answer for that, right? Evolution doesn't have an answer for why do you feel. Why do we love? Why do we have loyalty? Why do we care? Why do we hate? Why do we cry? Why do we... Evolution doesn't come up with it. They don't have a good answer for that. We also have a will. What is that? The will is the ability to choose. Now, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. We're going to sort out, do you really have a free will? What do you think the answer to that is? Yes and no. I like that. Yo, that's the yo question. Yes, you have a free will in that you can make moral choices, right? Make moral mistakes, yeah. 
But you don't have a free will in the sense that you can make any choice. Right? You're limited. You're limited by what? By what you are. The choices that you make are limited by your nature, by what you are. And what are you right now? Fallen. You're fallen. You're morally fallen. So what does that mean? The choices you make are bad choices. Now, they're not, they're, some choices aren't bad as others. But does anybody make the right choice for the right reason with the right motive 100% pure? No, you don't. Not in a fallen state, I don't think. Theoretically, it's possible, but practically, we don't do it, do we? I mean, we might make a right choice, right? But not for the right reason. You know, some might say, well, you know, we better, I better not do that immoral thing because I might get caught. Right? It's not because that's an offense against God, that's not the right thing to do. It's a, I might get caught. Uh, I'm not going to steal because i got a camera on me. I might get caught. It's not because, no, that's the wrong moral thing to do. It's I won't get caught. You know, and, and all of us have, unfortunately in our fallen state, we've all got a little bit of that mixture of our selfishness in it, does, don't we? And even though we might think we want to do the right thing for the right reason, there's always that little bit that just, that just fouls it up, see? Yeah, yeah. So, so we have a will but not a totally, completely free will. So given a series of choices, we're going to pick maybe a bad choice or a less bad choice or a less than that bad choice, but their choices are always not going to be the choices we want to make. All right? It's like, you know, the the analogy I use is some might might say, Shane, now, Alan, we really like, we're going to take you out to eat anywhere you want to go. Well, where am I going to go? Most expensive place. No. Where do you, yeah, all right. Money's not a part. Yeah, you, you take me anywhere in the world. I can go to any restaurant in the world. I can eat anything in the world. I can eat anything. What am I going to eat? Yeah, bad food. I'm not going to eat tofu. Tofu's off the menu for me, right? Now, why is tofu off the menu? It's not within my nature to eat it. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to make. I have a, now again. Do I have a? Do I have a free will to make a choice on anything? Right. But what am I going to choose? I'm going to use things that I like. I'm not going to choose anything. I'm not going to go and eat tarantula spiders in the middle of South America. I'm not going to do that. By the way, they do eat those down there. Gross. Well, they, 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 they take care of that. And if they say it tastes like chicken, well, that's good for them. But, but there are things... And, and we all have that, right? When, you, when, you're, when you're given a choice, you make choices consistent with what you are, with your background, with who you are, with the things you like. In a fallen state, we make choices, but we have a fallen nature to contend with. We're going to talk about that. We also have an intellect. What do we mean by intellect? Well, a dog has a certain level of intellect, right? It knows how to get home. It knows certain things. But when we're talking about intellect. We're not talking just about that. We're talking about communication, about abstract reasoning, about thinking. Do animals think abstractly? No. I asked the question, do you ever see any gorilla decorate their tree? <laughs> no, why do you decorate your house? But they mark their territory. Well, they mark their territory, but you don't see a mural in their tree. You don't see artwork, right? 
You don't see abstract reasoning. By the way, did the gorillas bury their dead? All right, there's a difference. See, God created mankind with a difference from the animals. He created man with a personality, with emotions, with will, with an intellect. And here's the most important thing, to form relationships. That's the thing that's different. Now, does, does the, your dog and cat have a certain relationship with you? Yeah. Yes. Well, what kind of relationship is it? Nonverbal. Yeah. I bark, he feeds me. All right. I wag my tail, I get petted. You know, that kind of thing. A dog does not sit down and talk to you about world events and reason with you. Um, they can't do that. They don't have that level of communication. So when I have a relationship with an animal, there, there's a, I talk to the dog, but the dog doesn't talk to me. All right. I, I, in fact, if you're at my house, I'm always talking to Stetson and the cat and everything else. And I talk to my animals, but they don't talk back. They look at me like, you know, what is that blather coming out of his mouth? And they figured out their name. So if I say Stetson, he knows that's him and not the cat. But he, he doesn't talk to me. He doesn't communicate with me. He doesn't share with me at any kind of deep level. And that's what God created man to do. And that's what it means when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He created man with the ability to make and form relationships. Now, how was how that borne out? How is that borne out? Well, after God created man, what did he do? He had... Let's see. First of all, what was the first task that Adam did after his creation? Named all the animals. So God brought all the animals to Adam and he named them. Now, what does that signify when it says he named the animals? What does that mean? He had dominion over them. If you have the right to name something, that shows a superiority relationship. By the way, God has created us to have dominion over this world. And understand what we mean by that. That doesn't mean we destroy it. (laughs) We have dominion over it. God created us with dominion over it. There's a movement that wants us to go back to nature, you know, and just sort of like live in communion with the world and that kind of thing. That's not how God created God created us to subdue this world. All right? And we need to do that. It's, it's a losing battle, isn't it, with all the weeds? I hate yard work. All right? And I hate pulling weeds, but you've got to pull the doggone things. God created us to have dominion over this world, but not to destroy it. We are His stewards. So there's a certain sense in which we as Christians need to be responsible environmentally. But that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to cut a tree to make a fire. We're not allowed to drill for oil. We're not allowed to, to eat food or, or to hunt for animals. Although some would not say we're not allowed to do that because they have a personality. How dare we destroy them? Um, that's the whack jobs out there. But what happens is God brought all the animals to Adam and he named them all. And when Adam was done naming them, what was evident? That there was a male and a female. Well, he could, he could figure that out, but what else did he What did Adam figure out? There was none like him. There's, there's no one like me. I mean, I can name the dog, and I can name the cat, and I can name the, you know, whatever, but they're not talking to me. They, they don't share with me. I'm, I'm all by myself. And that's when God did what? He put him to sleep and made a helper suitable for him. Made a mate. Made Eve. And why did God make Eve? 
Several reasons. Well, procreation for one thing. I mean, if Adam's all by himself, that's the end of humanity, right? So procreation is, is, a, is, a, is certainly a component of that. But what, what was the major thing that God was trying to get through to Adam? Relationship. Here's somebody like me. I can talk to her. She can talk back. It talks. You know, he's probably, it talks. You know, it shares. I mean, wow. I, that's not what the horse did. He just neighed. And the dog barked and the cat meowed. But this person is actually talking to me. Alright? It was a relationship. And that was what was missing. What did God say? It is not good for man to be alone. So God created a help meet suitable for him. And what did that help meet provide for Adam more than anything? Companionship. Relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, we tend to think of this, at least I've always been under the impression that, that she was his companion, she was his friend, she was, you know, somebody to mm-hmm. have around and support you. And we think of just supporting day to day living, but in reality, the word that is used is the same word that's used elsewhere for a warrior. And what was. Yeah, and, and Adam and Eve were given what task when after they were created? What did God tell them to do? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. All right, and that that implied in the subduing part is the co-worker. And, and understand, you know, when you, when you go back and look at the original family that God created, Adam and Eve. God created Adam to be the head of the home. There's no doubt about that. Why? He created him first. And He created Eve to be a help, helper for him. But even in that, there's a mutuality that they work together. All right, There's a companionship there. That's God's ideal. That's God's ideal. God's ideal is that there be a mutuality, a companionship. And even then, there's a mutuality, even in that companionship, of a mutuality of submission, right? Adam's responsible to care for Eve. Eve's responsible to work with Adam. There's a mutuality there. Together they do something that one of them by themselves couldn't do. But why did God create Eve? God created Eve for the procreation. There's no doubt about that. But He created Eve as a companion. It is not good for man to be alone. God did not say it's not good that man be alone and not be able to procreate. That's not what He said. The, the major reason is God wanted a woman to be a companion for Adam so that together they would enjoy relationship. And that's why God created man. This, this is the thing that just amazes me beyond amazement. God created us, me, to be a friend of him, to be his friend, to have a relationship with him. Go figure that one out. The eternal God of the universe wants a relationship with us. 
And quite honestly, what is salvation? When you boil salvation all the way down to the bare minimum, what is God trying to accomplish in salvation? A relationship. He's trying to restore a relationship that was shattered in the fall. We're going to talk about that. What, what did Adam lose in the fall? Well, you know, we got the whole idea of death and sin and all those ugly things that go along with it. But what was the one thing that he lost? Relationship with God. Now, how do you know that he lost his relationship with God? How do we know that from the Genesis narrative? Walked in the cool of the day. Now, think about the wonder of that. Think about going on, you know, in the evening as the sun is setting and walking with God and just talking to Him. It's amazing. Well, so God walked with him, but what does it mean? God took on a physical form and walked with him, or God was his presence was there. Probably his presence. It probably wasn't a physical form. Um, but here, and you know, it could have been a Christophany, right? What's that? An appearance of Christ. Now, Christ did Christ appear in a physical form prior to his incarnation? Yes, he did. All right. It could be that. We do know the presence of God was there. God walked and talked with Adam. All right. Think about the wonder of that. Can you imagine walking with God in the Garden of Eden? God saying, well, how was your day? You know, well, it was a great day. I found this thing called a strawberry. Wonderful thing. By the way, that's God's perfect fruit. Beats tofu any day. All right? <laughs> Strawberries are, are it, you know? And it's like, well, what's God doing? Is God trying to get information from Adam? No. What is God doing? Companionship. Friendship. Relationship. That's the amazing thing. God's not pumping Adam for information that God didn't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a relationship. That's what it was. That's the wonder. And, and, you know, that's what God wants to accomplish in redemption. It's not so you get to heaven. That's a great deal, right? Getting to heaven. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. Being part of the angelic choir and... And all that, that's a wonderful thing. Being part of the redeemed, that's a wonderful thing. But why did God save you? To get you to heaven? To have a relationship with you. For all of eternity, think about this, folks. You're going to have a complete eternity to walk and talk with God. That's what, relation, that's what salvation is all about. All this other stuff is gravy on the side. God saved me to have a relationship with me. I do that all the time. I mean, on, on the way into church today, I was thanking God for the ability to see what He created. That, that's part of it. I mean, just enjoying. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, just saying, God, you know, you have, you know, every time I go out and see a beautiful sunset, it's like, wow, you did another one, you know. Or even a sunrise. I see a few of those now and then. It's harder when it's 6 o'clock in the morning, but, you know. Just to be here to praise Him, I mean, Yeah, th- we think of prayer as, you know, going to God with our, our gimme list or, or, or confessing our there, There's parts of that. God is the, you know, the, um, the supplier of all of our needs. 
But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's being able to talk to God and thanking Him for a beautiful sunset, for a sunrise, for the ability to see it and to understand it. The knowledge of just knowing who He is. and It goes on from there. That, that's the most wonderful parts of my prayer time. It's not the confession and the, all that. I mean, that's an important part. But the wonderful part is you know driving through the mountains and just enjoying what God's made and thanking Him for the beauty and the ability to appreciate the beauty. Yeah. It's a relationship. That's all it is, you know. And and I remember Friday, last Friday, sitting out at a good Mexican restaurant and thanking God for the ability to eat the food and to enjoy it. You ever think about that? God could have created you to eat mud. Well, you might enjoy it, but I might not enjoy being around you after eating. That's fine. <laughs> you can go eat the tarantulas, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, but you ever think about that? You ever thank God for the appetite that you have and the ability to enjoy to enjoy the food that you eat and to enjoy a sunset and a sunrise and the companionship of others? I mean, that's what God did. God created man with this wonderful ability to form relationships. And that's what it's all about. God did not create Adam to run around the garden and procreate and just that's the end of it. God created Adam for relationships, to enjoy what God has created. And you know what? I think there's a joy in God's heart when we appreciate and enjoy what He's made. Within reason. It's okay to thank God for a nice strawberry pie. That's a wonderful thing to do. Or blackberry or apple or whatever it is you like. It's okay to do that. And that's the ability, that's the thing that separates man from animals, is we have an ability to keep and form relationships at this level. There's a certain level at which animals have a relationship with us, but it's not at this deep communication level. All right? It's not at that level. And that's what God created us to do. And that's what we mean when we talk about the, the Imago Dei. So when we look at this um, concept of relationship, and we think about relationship, I wanted to ask the question, what, are the, what elements are required for that? How, what is needed for relationships to occur? What do two entities need? All right, two things. Number one, there must be self-consciousness, right? Can a rock have a relationship with another rock? Rocks don't have relationships, right? Now... A rock may have a relationship to another rock because I put those two rocks together in a building, but the rocks themselves do not form a relationship, do they? There's no self-consciousness. All right? And that's one of the requirements of relationship. There needs to be a consciousness of self. God created us with a self-consciousness. Now, evolutionarily, where did that come from? It's here, so it must have happened. That's the best answer they got. There's no explanation for it evolutionarily. Why you, why you know you are you, and he is he, and she is she, and we're not the same. Right? There's a self-consciousness. God created man to be conscious of himself. And how do you know that God created man with self-consciousness? Because I feel self-conscious. And how do you know... 
But how do you know that from the Scripture where that comes into play? What happened in Genesis 3? The fall. And immediately, what did man become? Self-conscious. That's where that self-conscious really bloomed. And all of a sudden, they saw that they were naked and hid themselves. Huh? Oh, yeah. They had self-conscious, but it was not a fallen. There's not a fallenness there. All right? We'll explain all of that in the fall. So there needs to be self-consciousness. You can't have two things that are not self-conscious and have a relationship with them. You can't form a relationship with a rock, even if it is a pet rock. All right? You can't form a relationship with that rock because that rock doesn't talk back to you. All right? Yeah, so it's a whacked out one. It's one of those odd things, you know. The next thing for a relationship to occur is there's got to be a will, right? What do we mean by that? Two entities need to be able to decide if they want a relationship or not, right? There has to be a choice. There has to be some some volitional component, all right? Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people, but I don't have a relationship with a lot of people because there's no will to have a relationship, right? It's not that I don't hate them or they don't hate me. It's just that, you know, we pass like ships in the night and there's no, there's no mutuality of a relationship. But with my wife, it's a different thing, right? Because she's decided for whatever reason, she's whacked, that want a relationship with me. And I decided I wanted a relationship with her. And that's... That's what caused us to come together. So I have a relationship with my wife that's different than anybody else. I might know you and we might you know, play golf together or go out to eat together. But with my wife, it's something different because there's a deepening of that relationship because we have a desire to be with one another. And I'd rather be with Donna than anybody, quite honestly, because I want to be around her, right? I don't want to be around all of you all of the time, but I really want to be around Donna. All right? And, and how, how do you know this? Well, when, when we have to stay apart for a period of time, I don't like that. I don't like going on trips and not having her around. And she doesn't like not having me around. Because um, we, we want to be with one another. And, and what you know, gives joy and depth and um, you know, vibrancy to a relationship is a desire to be with one another. The will, the desire. And... Think about that with your relationship with God. How badly do you want a relationship with God? Probably worse than what your relationship is with your wife. I'm but do we think of that? I do. But no, usually we don't. We don't, do we? Here's another question. What does God want? He wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with us a lot worse than we want a relationship with Him. But there needs to be a desire. There needs to be... A, 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 a choice to have a relationship. Of all of the people on the planet I could have married, it was Donna. And of all the people she could have married, it was me. So there's a special relationship there that doesn't exist outside of that in our world. And the same thing in your world, too. A choice. So there needs to be a will. Um, there needs to be intelligence. What do you mean by that? Well, what is the basis of a relationship? Communication, right? Can two non-sentient beings have a relationship? Can two non-sentient things have a relationship? Like rocks. 
No, they can't think, they can't talk, they can't reason. I have a certain relationship with my dog, but it's not at the level of how's the weather, what are you going to be doing today, and that kind of thing. He wakes up and he says, oh good, you're here, I'm hungry, feed me. You know, I'm, and he knows that if I talk to him and he wags his tail, that gets more food for him. You know, he's not stupid, you know, but he's not intelligent at the level of abstract thinking, of reasoning, of communication, of talking, of thinking through, of enjoying beauty, enjoying abstract things like um, future. So you would call that unconditional love, but you would call it conditional love? Conditional love. Because if somebody comes along and treats him better than I do, guess what? He's out of here. You know? Yeah. And intelligence is required to communicate and maintain a relationship is remember who's part of it. If, if I couldn't remember, what's that one movie, uh, 80 Dates? What, you hear that? 50. 50 First Dates? You know, where it has short-term memory loss? I never, I never, I never watched the movie, but I, I was watching, interesting, they, they had a special on the Discovery Channel. There's some guy in England that has a disorder, a memory disorder. He can remember only 30 to 40 seconds worth of information. Beyond that, he can't remember it. So I can be talking to him, and a minute later, he has no idea what I just said a minute ago. No idea at all. No, just total... He doesn't know who people are. He doesn't... He can't... It's really weird, because they were talking to him, and he, he, he knows the one... His wife, he has sort of a memory of her, but she'll come in and say, you know, today's you know, so-and-so's birthday. And then, 30, you know, 30, 40 seconds later, he says, you know, what day is that? I have no idea what day it is. Well, so-and-so's birthday. Oh, it is? I didn't know that. I mean, it's, it's an extreme form, but think about having a relationship with somebody like that who can't remember who you are. All right? Yeah, how do you function? You can't remember. He knows language and things like that, but he has no long-term memory beyond 30 to 40 seconds. It's really a weird thing. No, he had an accident. And, and, and it was, I forget the guy's name, but it's, it's really an interesting case. But you need to remember, you know, I remember Donna and I don't remember other people, right? I know who she is. She knows who I am. I don't walk in the house and say, well, who are you? You know, and, there, and it's interesting on that same show, there was another lady that had some kind of, of illness. Forget what it is, but she totally forgot her husband is her husband. So she, he, she thinks her real husband was taken to a hospital and she's not seen him, although her real husband is there taking care of her. She doesn't know who he is. Really weird. And um, how, do you, how would you like to have that kind of relationship? There's this one woman you know? who was in an accident. She had visual memory. As soon as she closed her eyes, she couldn't remember it. But as long as she kept her yeah. But what's that saying? It's saying that intelligence and memory and the things that God created us to do that all lets us have relationships. I can pick Donna out of a crowd. I can recognize her. And what's odd is I can look at pictures of her from first, second, third grade, and I can pick her out of a crowd of kids. All right? It's, it's, she just looks different, you know, and I can pick that out. And, and I have memories, and I also have memories of what relationship we've enjoyed to this point, right? I have memories of that. And, and all of those are, are part of what makes a relationship so wonderful and so fulfilling in life. And without intelligence, without the ability to think and to reason, without the ability to sit down and talk to someone and share, there can be no deep relationship. 
And that's what God created us to do, to have these relationships. And, and just as an aside, what makes life fun and meaningful and fulfilling? Things? No. It's the relationships of life. It's that what makes it fulfilling. It's not the stuff that you amass, toys that you have, the house, the car, all of that. It's the people. That's what makes life meaningful and what gives purpose and, and, and joy to life. And that's why, why is it? Well, that's the way God made us. That's the way God made us. And evolution, by the way, doesn't have any answer for that. Evolution has no answer for why there is marriage. They have no answer for that. Or monogamy or anything like that. There's no answer for any of that stuff. There is when you go to the Bible, because the Bible says, what did God do in the beginning? He created them male and female. And He created them to have a relationship not only with each other, but with Himself. And He gave them the components and the ability to have those relationships. He gave them what was needed to make them. There also needs to be communication. I need to be able to talk, right? I need to be able to share. And what do you think? What do you think? You know, how do you feel? What's your opinion on this? If there's no communication, and there can be no deep relationship, right? That's what a lot of women say. You know, while you know, I love my husband and that, but he just doesn't talk. He grunts. Why is that? Well, they want to share, right? They want to. And that's one of the struggles. You know, I get home from work and I'm tired out and I've been busy all day. And what does Donna want to know? She wants me to regurgitate my day for her. And that's like, ah, I want to just sit down and not do anything for a little while. Well, we need to compromise on that. And I need to do, by the way, I need to do a better job of compromising on that, just so you know. So are you saying you're forming a deep relationship with us? I'm getting to know you better, right? I mean, some of you I know pretty well because I've, you know, we've, been in classes and done things and some of you know a lot better than others. Alright? And, and we all have those different levels of relationships. We communicate and share. But what, what really deepens and strengthens and makes a relationship takes a relationship to the next level. The ability to communicate, to talk, to share. I know what makes Donna upset. I know what brings her joy. I know what brings her happiness. Alright? I, I know what brings a smile to her face. Like I went to get it's stupid. I went to get flowers. We went to the grocery store yesterday and they had a nice bouquet of really nice pretty carnations and all that. Then they had this crazy daisy bouquet with all these weird colored flowers. Guess which one I got for her? The crazy daisy. That's the one she wants, you know. And she loves it. You know, she puts them in the vase. You know, she has flowers, you know. And it's like five bucks, but hey, it's worth it, you know. It's enjoyable. You learn. And they're, they're, as you form a relationship, you know what makes somebody happy. Now, let's take this to our spiritual life. If you love God and you want a relationship with Him, what do you want to do? That's not bad. You want to make Him happy. You want to please God. Why? Because you love Him. And what pleases God? Relationship, obedience, love. Now, I'm not talking about obedience out of, okay, I'll do it. Right? What kind of obedience is it? It's a joyful obedience because I know that brings God joy when I do that. I want to make God happy. And I'm going to do it because it just thrills Him to death when I do that. You know, And as you develop that, your relationship with God will be kicked into a different level. 
And, and, you know, I've said this before, when you see sin not as the violation of a code or a rule, but the violation of a relationship, your spiritual life will go to another level. When you sin, you're not, you know, tra- you know uh, violating section 403B, line 21, paragraph 3 of the, eter- you know, the, the universal code of ethics. You're violating a relationship with God. That's what sin is. Sin is the violation of a relationship. And if I love God, I want to please Him. I want to do those things that bring joy to His heart, so I'm going to do that which makes Him happy. That, that's what I'm going to do. There also needs to be emotion. Right? Why is it that you want a relationship? Because it feels good. Because there's an emotional bond. There's emotions of joy, of happiness, of fulfillment. Alright? It feels good. It feels good. And there's nothing wrong with that, is there? I certainly hope that if you're married, you feel love towards your spouse. I hope you do that. God created us with these emotions. God, and by the way, evolutionarily, they can't explain emotions, can they? Why is it that you have love, hate, joy, peace, contentment? Where do those come from? They can't program them in the computers. I mean, a computer can reason to a certain extent, but it can't feel, it can't emote. It doesn't have emotions. God created us with emotions. He created us to feel and to enjoy and to have joy. And that's and, and this is interesting because God has joy, doesn't He? Why did God create the universe to bring joy to Himself for His own pleasure? And this is the thing that, that really makes me stop and think: I can bring joy to God's heart. I can do that. I can also bring a frown on His face, can I? And often we do the latter than the former. But we can bring joy to God's heart. I want to do that. I want to bring joy to His heart. God created man in order to have a relationship with man. And this is at several levels. One is sharing of ideas, desires, companionship. It's okay to talk to God and to share your desires with Him. That's part of communication, right? And by the way, does God know what your desires are? Yes, you're not, hot. You're not springing something on Him that He doesn't know. And, and companionship, it's one of the characters of the Bible that fascinates me is Enoch, right? Seventh from Adam. What, did, what was unique about Enoch? He walked with God. What does it mean he walked with God? He not only had a relationship, but what kind of relationship was it? It was a deep. He walked with God. And in the Hebrew concept, if you're walking with someone, what does that imply? You have the same desires, the same goals, the same viewpoints, the same heart, the same... He walked with God. In fact, he walked with God so closely that one day God says, you don't need to go home, just come home with me. Wow. Wow. He walked with God. I want to 
I want to get close to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how is it, and this is just a thought of something we talked about earlier, how is it possible for us to truly bring joy to God's heart if we never do our, our you always have mixed emotions. Because you're making the attempt to do it. And a lot of things with God, it's not the perfection, it's the direction, right? You're trying, you're making an effort. You know, I always, you always have that little cloud of self in there. Alright? But as we, as we uh, love God, as we strive to do His will, as we strive to have a relationship with Him. And, and listen, you understand something, folks. God wants your best interest. He has your best interest at heart. It's not like God is saying, worship me because I'll pound you on the head if you don't. It's, God has your best interests at heart. That's what God created you to do, to have a relationship with Him. And that's going to bring you the joy and the fulfillment and the peace and contentment in this life and the life to come. That's what God created you for. There's nothing wrong with that. And we can bring joy to God's heart when we, to the best of our ability, do those things that honor Him. And even though we may not do it in total perfection, we're making a stab at it. Yeah, it's nothing more than you might have a five or a six-year-old child that's doing his best to take the dinner dishes to the sink to wash them and he drops one on the ground. Look, he's doing his best. That brings, hopefully, brings joy to your heart that he's making an effort. You know? That's what God looks for. Are we trying? Do Do we have this concept in our hearts that I want to please God? And by the way, we can we can please him because he sees our effort, he sees our our hearts. He why was it that David was a man after God's own heart? You ever ask yourself that? Why was that said of David? He tried to do. It. Now, did he always do it? No, we know that. But he tried, and and look at the Psalms. Just if you want to think of relation, go home and read the Psalms. And read how God is, or how David is relating to God in the Psalms. Yeah. Well, he didn't. He and I didn't collude. But look, look at the Psalms. Here's David talking to God, like 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 you talk to a friend. There's nothing wrong. Understand that God is still God. You are still you. But God longs for us to talk to Him, to share with Him, to share our frustrations and ask for His wisdom and insight. And He wants us to do that. It's, it's, God wants a relationship with us much more worse than we want one with Him. He really does. He created man to, why did you, to have a relationship and to display His nature to man, to display who He is. What, what are we going to spend all of eternity doing? Playing harps on clouds? That's boring. Right? We're going to spend eternity relating to one another and getting to know this infinite God that, we, that have, wants a relationship with us. And in heaven, there's not going to be anything to cloud the relationship, is there? There's not going to be anything to destroy that. That's what we're going to talk about when we talk about the fall. What happened in the fall? What happened in the fall is a cloud came in between Adam 
and God. Adam could not be fully disclosed to God. Why? Because he had fallen. Think about this. In heaven, there's not going to be anything about you that you need to hide from God or anyone else. Think about that. And why can't we do that now? Because our fallenness. So that means uh, planet Earth is, is a big schoolroom. And mm-hmm. uh, we're here to mature. And in order to mature, we've got to go through pain and suffering. That's part of it. And part of this that... There's joy along the way. And God left us here to display His love and character to those around us. To bring them in as well. That's part of the, the evangelistic process. But think about this. You know, I, I cannot be... I'm going to tell you right now. It is impossible for me to be completely transparent to you. Because there are parts of me that I don't want you to know about. Because I'm ashamed of them. And, and, and even, in, even in the closest relationship I have in this world with my wife, there are parts of me that I cannot share with her. And there are parts of her that she can't share with me. Right? Because in our fallen state, there are, there are those dark pieces of us that we just we keep hidden. Why? Because we are ashamed of them. So why not finally approach? Because even in our fallen state, we can't do that. Because there's always, no matter how I hard I strive, there's always going to be some pieces of me that I can't fully be transparent on. All right, and you know what? It's better that you don't. You know, there, there's a psychological. Sammy can attest this probably. There, there's a certain um, movement in psychology wants transparency. You know, being absolutely transparent. Listen, that's a bad idea. That's a really bad idea. And and some people say, well, you need to be able to be fully transparent. If somebody asks you what you think, you need to be able to tell them exactly what you think. Whoa! All right, and I'll tell. The illustration I use, and I remember one guy telling me, I remember, he said, when you said that, I remember that for my entire ministry. I said, you could be sitting in a room and have some absolutely gorgeous, wonderful, beautiful woman come in and sit down next to you. And then some say, well, what are you really thinking? (laughs) I'm not going there. All right? I can't be fully transparent. No matter how holy, godly, righteous, whatever you want to be, you don't want to be transparent in those situations. And by the way, there are, all of you know that, right? You're all smiling because, yeah, you know, there are things in your own life. That, yeah. And because and, we can't our fault. But in heaven, what, what about heaven? We're all perfect. There's nothing about me that I'm ashamed of. That's what makes heaven so wonderful. There's not going to be any of these hidden pieces of our lives that we can't be transparent on. I can, be, I can stand in God's presence and not worry about there's something down somewhere that's out of kilter. And that's what destroyed the relationship with Adam and God in the garden. Remember, when Adam sinned, what did he not want to do? He didn't want... There's a piece of him that... I don't want God to know about this. He was ashamed and he hid himself in the garden. But in heaven, we won't have that problem. Well, I, I like the idea of what he was saying, is that we 
you should try to be as open as possible, but I don't think it's even possible. No. No matter you you can you can strive from now to your death to overcome your flesh, and there's always going to be parts of you that you struggle with. Paul did that. I mean, good night. Remember Romans seven, the things I want to do I don't do, the things I don't want to do I do. Woe is me. All right, this life we're not going to do that. But the point is, in heaven, we won't have anything that we would be ashamed of. I, I can't. If God were to show up right now, I'd want to run and hide in the corner. Because he's, he's able to see right through you. But when I get to heaven and I don't have this sin anymore, and I don't have... Here's the wonderful thing. I can't foul it up. That's the great thing about heaven. Not only am I going to be perfect, I can't fall. I can't mess it up. If it is, heaven would empty itself in a short order, Right? I can't mess it up. I'm going to be able to enjoy God and enjoy God's presence. There's not going to be anything in me that I'm ashamed of. He's going to be able to look at me and say, can't find anything wrong with you. You know, that's a wonderful thing. But, but what makes a relationship, what, what brings a relationship deep is, is, a, is that intimacy, that sharing of, of our, ourselves and our being and our wants and our desires and with someone else and even though that might go deep, it can't go all the way down to the core of our being because there are certain pieces of us in our fallen state that we can't let out. We're ashamed of them. We're ashamed of them. And no matter how hard you try to stomp them out, there are going to still be some things in there that you just can't... And, and it's not healthy to do that, right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, be fully honest. You can't do that in a fallen state. Charlie Brown's got it wrapped up right here. It says life is one fumble after another. Yeah. <laughs> it's because of, of the fact that we can't be perfect that always has brought me back to I wish there were more written about Enoch. Because was he that perfect? He, he must have been to have his own personal rapture. I There was something... It, you're right. I wish there was more verses in the Bible about Enoch. I do know that Enoch shared the same heart that God shared. And, and, and that's one of the things that, that I find myself praying for. Um, to, to have the same view towards things that God does. Can, now, can we do that in this life fully? No. But can we get closer than we are? Yeah, and I'll tell you the practical way this is working out in my life is, you know, as I pray to see things more like God, to understand things more like God. A lot of the things that I entertain myself, a lot of the TV shows and things I watch, I just have no desire for. I mean, zero desire for. I just don't care anymore. And there are years ago when you know that would be the highlight of my week or something. My appetite is changing. You know, and some say, well, you're just getting to be an older guy. Well, maybe I am getting to be older, but I'm hoping I'm getting a little bit holier. I mean, and I'm saying that, understand the context of what I'm trying to say that. Because all of us need to strive in that, that way. If you love someone, are you going to do something that brings sorrow to them? Are you going to engage in things that cause them to be hurt? No, right? 
So if you love God, are you going to do things that bring Him sorrow? See, and that's when, that's when the, 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 the things we do go, go away from the list and go to the relationship, right? If you come to my house, you don't see a, a list on my refrigerator saying, Alan, don't hit Donna. Don't slap your wife. Don't kick your wife. Why? I love my wife. I'm not going to do that. I don't need the list. All right? And when you get to the point where your love for God is, is at that level, you don't need the list. Because you know what brings joy to his heart. You know what brings a smile to his face. And you're going to do those things that do that. And you're going to avoid things that bring God's sorrow. You're just not going to want to do them. And it's not going to be, well, I don't want to violate Rule 28 paragraph 3, you'd lose the desire for that stuff. And I'm starting to see that work out in my life a little bit where there are things that I don't do. I don't have a Bible verse on it. I can't give you a chapter and a verse that says I can or can't do that. It's just that when I do that, I say, you know, this this is probably not something that brings joy to God's heart. I'm I'm just not going to do this. And I can't explain those. But that's, that's what it means, uh, you know, his commands are not grievous. There's, there's a passage in John where it says, we do those things that are pleasing because his commands are not grievous. What do you mean? If I really love God, I'm going to do those things that make him happy. And therefore, those things that make him happy are not hard things for me to do, right? Is it hard for me to go and buy flowers for my wife? Brings her happiness. Now, look, there's a year, there's years ago, I was a cheapskate, and I wouldn't drop five bucks on flowers. But you know what? It's worth it. Right? It's only money. And it brings joy to her heart. Hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do those things that bring her happiness and joy. And that's, that's what God has created us to do. We can bring joy to his heart. Oh, we got to hug you. Uh, Oh, okay. I'm not doing marriage counseling here, folks. But... All right. Oh. I mean, it's true, right? I mean, if you love someone, my wife loves the dumbest little things. So she gets more tickled out of that, you know. You know, I go, I go to uh, to McDonald's and I get the Happy Meals. For the toy. It has nothing to do with the food. It's the toy. And she made me go back one time and get a different toy because she didn't have the toy she wanted. Um, she just loves those kind of things. And He created us so we can enjoy eternal communion with Him. Think about that. That's what heaven's about. Eternal communion with Him and to glorify Him. What does it mean to glorify God? To display His character. To be like Him. To make Him look good. It means to glorify God. It's a wonderful thing that God created us with this way. We're going to stop here because we've got the next section coming up. But hopefully, you, is the Imago Dei sort of clear now a little bit? The image of God. Relationship is the key. 
And that what's make that makes us different than animals. So when somebody some clown comes along and says, Look, you're nothing more than a glorified monkey, there's something different. Monkeys do not decorate their tree houses. <coughs> they do not communicate. They do not talk abstractly. Yeah. All right. Well let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for the day and thanks for teaching us and Father, we we stand in awe to realize that not only did you create us for a relationship, but you desire a relationship with us. Help us to desire one with you. Help us to want to please you, to want to love you, to want to have that relationship with you, to think like you to some small degree, to share our lives and our, our, our needs and our wants and and to to really want the same things that you want, to have the same desires you have. And we just thank you for this time and pray that we would really ponder this this week. And thank you for the time you've taught us in Christ's name. Amen.